Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men with you. And we, as always, have the Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander, with us today. Greg, good to talk with you again. Great to talk with you, Alex. It's been a little while since we've been able to have a chat uh, on our podcast. I've been looking forward to this. I have as well, and it has been. Something tells me there's been a little something happening in the world these past couple months that has kept us a little bit busy. Um, And probably that's a a good thing for us to kind of talk about today. Um, Living here in the midst of um, COVID-19, and how that has transformed, I'll use that word, uh, kind word, I think at this point, our um, way of being recently. Um, I know you and I have both um, been impacted, um, at least in our work lives and in um, sometimes accessibility to resources that we would like to to go out and avail ourselves of. Um, But uh, I I think that might make it for a really nice... uh, Uh, beginning of our conversation today is to kind of talk about how uh, men's ministry and how we as people, as men, have been impacted um, by coronavirus uh, here in the year that is 2020. It is an interesting time, uh, to say the least. Um, You know, it's part of laying the groundwork for this conversation is understanding that we're, we, you know, we're all in different places and, uh, you know, understanding the different circumstances that people, um, you know, are in certainly changes the way you respond. Uh, you know, for me, uh, as a retiree and doing men's ministry, you know, um, kind of a hobby, still ministry, very serious ministry, uh, you know, my income is not dependent. Uh, you know, our, our our life is not dependent on, on what we get from this ministry. Uh, both Nora and I are on fixed incomes. And so um, in one sense, that part doesn't pose a concern to us. You know, we're not, we don't have the fear of losing a job or if suddenly the, our positions of disciples, men went away, you know, uh, life doesn't end for us. Right. Uh, we probably would find other ways to keep this process going. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, to be, you know, just totally transparent is um, where it's impacted Nora and me is we've seen our kids and grandkids less, uh, which is, you know, and uh, for uh, our family, there's been a rash of birthdays and celebrations over those you know, that have fallen during the COVID time. And we haven't got to celebrate those like we would normally do. Uh, so, you know, that's been uh, upsetting. Um, but in the, in the day-to-day life for us, we don't eat out much. Uh, but then, you know, we weren't big. We didn't eat out a lot before. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm a gardener, so we eat out of our garden. And uh, you know, so, so there's a, I, I, all that is to say what I have to say is coming from a place of privilege. And right. I know that. 
I want to acknowledge that up front. I feel it in the little church I serve. That's cre created quite some disruption, uh, having to do for three months of virtual worship experience where, you know, I was not with my people. Uh, they're an hour and a half away from where I live. And so it's a commuter ministry. And so um, trying to figure out how you do ministry in that kind of scenario has been a significant emotional challenge for me. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we are, are my church is now meeting, uh, you know, it's a very small church. So social distancing in our sanctuary is a non-issue. <laughs> Uh, but we still have well over half our congregation who've made it clear they will not come until there's a vaccine. And so we still have to cater to them. We still do a virtual worship. Uh, I tape, you know, uh, record the, the worship we're doing now. And, you know, there's six or seven or eight, ten people, you know, that gather on Sunday morning. Right. And, uh, and you know, we can't touch each other. We They're very good about that. And we have uh, our uh, we have leaders in the church who keep things sanitized, you know, to the nth degree. I mean, they're just marvelous at how they're trying to make this work. So again, it's been an inconvenience, but it hasn't been life transforming for Nora and me from where we are. I know that's not the same for you. You're in a different position than I am. So share a little bit about how this is impacting you. Right. Well, thank you. I, in, in some ways, our experiences are, are somewhat similar in that, you know, my work with Disciples Men is not my major source of income. Um, and uh, both Jenny and I are, you know, we're, we're actively working. I'm pastor. She works in the local school district. We've had, we have not had any real stoppage of our jobs. Um, the church I serve applied for and received um, some uh funding from the CARES Act. Um, so we were able to, um, you know, pay staff, pay me um, throughout um, our time away. Um, we also have missed some celebrations. Um, this happened to be our, our daughter Kaya's senior year uh, in high school. So that was really transformed and graduation was weird and it's her final season of competitive dance. And so that's been really weird. And a lot of the things that we had, you know, built up and expected changed. Um, and so we've had to deal with some grief and, and navigating some of those things, but, but by and large, you know, um, we went virtual for uh, about three months uh, two and a half, three months, um, as far as worship goes here from the church. We've been back for almost two months now. Uh, and I think the larger challenge that we faced was actually over the past week or so, um, we've seen a dramatic um, spike in COVID cases uh, here in our county. Uh, when the stay-at-home, safer-at-home order ended at the end of May, um, our county had about 20 cases. Uh, I was looking this morning, and we've had a total of 83 now a month and a half later, almost two months later. Um, so we've doubled the number of cases in two months that we had in the three, two, three months earlier. Um, so astronomical um, kind of curve, uh, and not in a good way. Um, so we, the elders of the church made the decision 
um, last week uh, to require face masks for anyone who comes to worship. To that point, we had been strongly suggesting I'd been wearing a face mask. Most everybody had been wearing face masks, but there were still a few individuals who weren't. Um, but we made the move uh, this past week to say, look, you just have to wear a face mask if you want to come into church. Um, we've got disposable face masks available. If you're not willing to wear a face mask, take advantage of the virtual option. Um, and I really wrestled with that because I think it's the right thing to do, but there's also a part of me that, that says, is that welcoming? Um, is that inviting to folks to say, look, you must do this to come to worship? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And um, my response would be, we have every right to request that. Yeah. And, uh, because it's a much larger issue than hospitality. And quite frankly, being requiring that is an act of hospitality. And uh, uh, so, and I have, I have no issue with that. We haven't had to make that uh, action in my little church. Everybody comes, you know, covered and, and, uh, uh, and we had, we actually had the conversation this last week and, and I'm teaching my Sunday school class again and everybody spreads out through the room and, you know, stays masked and everybody's doing it right. We got ready to go uh, to in Sunday school to go to church and, and to worship. And one of the person said, because uh, Kentucky is, is uh, its numbers are rising too. And we made the national news last evening for yep. what's happening. Quite surprising because really, I think our governor's done a phenomenal job of trying to manage, you know, yes. both uh, public health and economic realities. Uh, you know, that is the catch twenty two for all of our our leaders. And um, so to see it to see it rising again in such a dramatic way has been quite disconcerting. And the question was, what the question the way it was posed was, is the church going church, meaning the denominational leaders going to tell us we can't meet anymore. Mm. And my response was our denominational leaders can't make that statement. <laughs> right. Right. We're not, that's not our polity. So we can't, that can't happen. So the question for me is, is I think as we've done all along, if our governor says, I want to encourage churches not to gather again, like we did when COVID first became a reality, I think we honor that. And we go back to the virtual, work but uh, uh, but until until we're asked to do that uh, I think we're fine with all the um, compliance practices that we have in place right I, my wife Nora is extremely diligent in about this and uh, you know she's uh, very careful about what um, she allows me to do and who we interact with with church and, uh, and, you know, both of us have looked at this and feel very comfortable. You know, I mean, everybody in my church is, is in the high-risk category. Right. You know, everybody there is 65 and over, except for a couple exceptions. And we haven't seen them for a while. They, you know, they opted out early on early because on. of uh, children and stuff. And, uh, and so anybody that's going to gather now is, are all high-risk folks. And so, you know, we love each other enough. We want to make sure everybody's going to be okay. And, uh, and it's clear in my conversation with members is that their kids are telling them 
stay home, be safe. You know, probably encourage them not to go to church, you know. Right. And you got to honor that. I mean, that's, that's just true. What, what, what disturbs me more than anything, and as you, as you know, Alex, I don't do Facebook, and I um, uh, gave that up. I don't need an ulcer. Nora <laughs> um, stays on that, and she shares with me so many of the comments from people, you know, whenever a decision is made. And I mean, I don't know how, how else to say it, but I, I am stunned by the stupidity of people. <laughs> And again, I know that's not very kind, but their attitudes are horrible. That you know, the, the the attitudes that they're adopting are so blind and so self-serving. Uh, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, and it's and it's just absurd. The stupidity with which people are responding to this is absurd, and it's seen in not just in the rank and file; it's seen in all levels of our society. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, uh, you know, and it's and in many cases, it's not a matter of economics versus public health. I get that argument. Right. If I lose my job and I'm about to be evicted from my apartment, I get the fact that, you know, that uh, I may want to roll the dice with being able to go to work and get and, and draw a paycheck. Yeah. I fully understand that. Yeah. But for people who are not in that position, who just choose to be obstinate, and then try to justify their obstinacy with stupidity. I, I have to say I've been taken back by, by the level of that. I'm guessing it's always been there, but social media has given that a, a voice that we probably aren't exposed to much. I don't know how, how large a percentage of people that are. It just It's quite irritating. So I guess what I would want to say to all of our listeners, grow up. <laughs> if you're not there, grow up. Yeah. You know, and for no other reason than to protect me, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep social distancing, and don't, don't complain about it. Yeah. It is the reality that we're in. And so let's just all do our part so we can get through it quickly and get back to whatever the new norm will be for all of us, where, you know, the things that we count on to make life better can return to us. Yeah. And every person who refuses to do that delays it for everybody. Right. I just don't know how hard that is. I mean, one plus one equals two. And you can't change that fact. And right. this is a one plus one equals two argument. And, you know, situation that we're in. Just put on a mask. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, why, why should my health suffer? Because you're being inconvenienced a little. I right. mean, I just don't get that. And so, obviously, that's, it. that's a, a rankle for me. That uh, <laughs> We couldn't uh, tell, Greg. It, it's not, no, no. <laughs> it's not direct, directly impacting me personally. Right. I think the thing... But to see how it's... I, I've noticed that that as well that we've got this this group of folks who I you know we're we're treading on you're treading on my civil liberties I want to be able to do what I want to be able to do um, and certainly I've seen that argument and it frustrates me as well um, the other thing that I've noticed and, and say tell me if you, if you've seen some of this too um, I'm noticing an increase or my awareness maybe has just increased of this um, attitude of, of exceptionalism, which seems to almost be built into who we are as a society. Um, this idea that, oh, it won't happen to me. Um, you know, so I see repeated articles um, posted from folks who, oh, I didn't think COVID was a big thing and then I got it. Um, you know, it's this idea of 
this is happening to anybody else or somebody else, but but for some reason we think that we are going to be exempted from the impact. Uh, yeah, I think that's all around us, and uh, I don't know whether it's exceptionalism or elitism. Um, yeah, that's that's a good observation. I'm not I'm not quite sure. Maybe both. Um, you know, I mean, there's no doubt one of the characteristics of who we are, or at least who we have historically been as a nation, is that, you know, we are a, 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 that sense of independence that, you know, in our day growing up, the rugged Marlboro man kind of image for men, right. uh, you know, is still with us. And um, what people forget is, is that your civil liberties end the moment they encroach upon my civil liberties. Right. And the, the whole the whole democracy of which we celebrate and are a part of is built upon shared meaning of life. Right. Again, not, not to the detail. It doesn't mean that you, we both have to worship the same God or any of that. That's not what I mean. But the very, the very, I mean, just driving down the highway, there are laws put in place that say you can't do certain things because the minute you do, you put everybody else around you at risk. Right. And so we have, by and large as a society agreed that those are acceptable limitations to my sense of freedom. And this is another one of those moments, you know, with the, with the COVID is it's like a speed limit on a highway. Right. And yes, you may decide that your, your need to get where you're going is, you know, is a, a higher priority than my need to get where I'm going. But the minute that you do that in a reckless way that endangers me, that's wrong. Right. And that should not be permitted. And do we all kind of push this, or at least most of us push the speed limit envelope? Sure we do, you know? And, uh, uh, but, but, you know, when I'm driving down the highway at 73 or 74, and someone passes me at 90, that's a problem. Yes. They are not that much more important than me and where they need to go is not that more important than where I need to go. And the fact that they're putting me and everybody else on the road at risk to do that is not acceptable. Yeah. And so, and that's, and that's the mindset we seem to have lost, you know, around something as silly as wearing a mask. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it, I think it touches on um, not to, not to go back around and cover a ground we've already covered, but it, it, it touches on this idea of maturity and immaturity um, that we've discussed um, on, an, on numerous other podcasts. Um, the idea that we, as we mature in our faith, in our understanding of who we are as um, children of God, as siblings of Christ, that as we mature in that, we really understand ourselves in terms of service to other. Um, and I, I think that's part of where my frustration is, is I thought we had grown as a society into this idea of we serve one another because that's who God calls us to be and who Christ uh, encourages us to be throughout the Gospels. Um, and when I see self-serving behavior, not serving others, but serving self, that it just kind of frustrated. I, I guess I'm frustrated because I thought we were past this. And I guess it's something we never get past. It's always an area for growth, but 
Well, I, and I think the one redeeming thing that we have seen that's juxtaposed with, uh, with the COVID is the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, right. I think, you know, I'm encouraged. I think I saw just this morning that, you know, 56% of the people are in favor uh, at the latest polling, uh, 56% of, of the American people. Um, you know, believe that we have to we we have to work hard to overcome racism in our culture. They've acknowledged it exists, and yes. you know, believe that it's it has to be overcome, and that the Black Lives Matter and the Poor People's Campaign, all the various social movements that are that are working to both heighten our awareness and begin to you know to uh, remove institutional racism from our midst. Um, it's encouraging to see the majority of the people there and wanting to make that journey. And I do think that there's frustration of people not are still not quite sure how you do that. You know, not, not everybody can go to a rally. Uh, you know, not everybody can partic participate in a protest, but um, you know, how do we voice our concern and what are the more tangible ways that we can do this, uh, you know, from in our little realm of life and, uh, right. um, but I, but I'm, I'm very heartened by, you know, by that piece, by seeing that I do think the American people who I've always believed in, I really have, I've always believed in, you know, our compassion and our, and um, kind of the, what the American ideal is. I think it's been tarnished tremendously over the last, I don't know how many years, maybe since 9-11. And, uh, you know, in our response to that, um, you know, that kind of kicked us in the teeth. And I think we're still trying to make sense of yeah. how we how we reclaim our sense of identity as a result of that. Again, that's just speculation. I don't know how true that is. It feels like it. Uh, but it seems like, you know, it was about that time where there was this fundamental shift in who we understand ourselves to be. And one of the goofy, and I mean, it's really goofy ways that I, I noticed this <laughs> is... I, you know, when I grew up, I was told that you always use a turn signal or a directional finder, whatever they call them now. And, uh, and the total absence of people using turn signals going down the highway is, is, is honestly a metaphor for yeah. how, how uh, non-respectful we are of the people around us and uh, not owning our, our role as as good citizens, uh, both in the nation and in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, again, you just stop, sit back and look at all these things. You just kind of scratch your head. Like what, what went wrong? <laughs> Greg, I, I feel a little bit called out on the turn signal comment. I, I'm not always the best at kicking the indicators on the car. Uh, sometimes I think my vehicle runs out of blinker fluid. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it, it, you're right. It's an apt metaphor. Um, we uh, uh, there's a song and I can't even remember what the song is. Talks about uh, might even be a Christian song. I I don't know. Uh, talks about driving around in our convenient little insert the uh, brand name uh, cages um, that you know we are we are isolated. Uh, you know a lot of our society now. I I get my car at home. I drive to the church. I come into the church. I get back into my car. I drive back home. I don't have to do tons and tons of shopping out in the community. Uh, you know, if I, if I wanted to, I could 
do almost all of my shopping online, I wouldn't really have to interact with anyone else. Um, and, and we've missed out on some of that. And um, uh, some of that sense of, of community has, has deteriorated over time. Um, and there's probably multiple causes for that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking back to when I grew up. I grew up in a little community. I grew up in the you know late '50s, early '60s. Uh, well, most of the '50s and early '60s, and and um, uh, grew up in a community of about five thousand people at the time. And you know, and everything was about neighbor. Mm -hmm. I've, I've probably shared this before, but you know, I get on my bicycle and I could ride anywhere in town. And you no, know, and that was there was never a moment where a set of eyes were not on me. Right. I thought I was. I thought nobody was watching, but everybody was watching. That's how. What that's what you did then. Everybody cared for each other, and you know a lot. I grew up at a time when they're mostly stay-at-home moms, and uh, and so you know almost almost never were you in a position, you know, where uh, the 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 village was not looking over your shoulder. And, uh, you know, we didn't get away with much, uh, you know, by the time I got back home, my parents knew almost before I knew what I did. <laughs> that I did it. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and again, that was, uh, so just a lot of neighbor neighborliness, you know, a lot of front porch and almost all front porch sitting and, you know, and, uh, waving and walking down the street and talking with your neighbors. And, you know, that's how, you, that's how you communicate. You didn't have social media, you know, and, had a phone but even the phone when I was a kid was still more of a novelty than a necessity right and uh, and you know we didn't uh, TV was just coming into its own uh, you know I was remember sitting in front of about a nine inch black and white tube you know that's what we had for a TV and three stations and you know and um, um, so again you didn't you didn't have the entertainment there that kept you locked inside so again, yes, it's all changed, you know, and that has to certainly be acknowledged. Um, but it it did it did cause us to give up a part of who we are. And I think for me, that's why the church has remained a very important part of my life. Not just because I'm called to ministry, but even in retirement, you know, right. I, there's nothing that says I have to be in church on Sunday. Right. Uh, uh, but I but I find that. Um, a Sunday morning without at least that personal community is a, is quite void. And uh, again, whether I'm the pastor or not, you know, being, having, uh, having a reason to come and be with other people face to face and, you know, and before COVID having some being able to shake a hand or get a hug or, and see a smile, you know, a genuine smile to feel to feel the joy, to feel the sadness, to feel, you know, the fear that people have, you know, in those kinds of things, you know, I, I think we lose a part of our humanity when, when we are stripped of that. And I, I can't help but believe that that's some of the pushback that we're getting, that people are, are, are experiencing in the COVID is that there is a, a fundamental part of what it means to be human that is being um, taken away from us, at least temporarily. And while, you know, we can say, you know, have all the fun we want on social media, the truth is we're discovering that social media really doesn't meet a lot of those needs. And, right. 
you know, work, you know, the work environment. I mean, I'm reading now or seeing where people are produ producing apps that have workplace noise, <laughs> you know, to locate the noise of your workplace. So if when you're working at home, you know, again, these are, these are all significant things because they're, you know, they're, they're what it means to be human. Right. And we're not androids, you know, we're not uh, artificial intelligence machines, at least not that we know of. And, uh, <laughs> I don't think we're in the matrix realm, but who knows? Uh, <laughs> but you know, that's, it's all part of the equation. And uh, you know, uh, when you, when you are a, ecologist like I am, you understand that everything is interconnected, you know, and what impacts one thing impacts another. Paul used the body very beautifully to talk about, you know, we're all connected. If one part hurts, the whole body aches. And right. if one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices, you know, all that kind of, and that is so true. That is just fundamentally true. And, uh, and when you begin to sever the cords of those kinds of relational needs that we each have, uh, I think you get um, a, a kind of a unhealthy society, and I think we're seeing it being played out in a, in a lot of ways. And what uh, I hear a lot of conversation of on, on two fronts. One front says, "Let's get back to the way things were," um, and then I hear uh, another set of fairly realist and I think forward-thinking individuals saying things will probably never return to the way they were. We have probably been through or are going through currently almost a birth process of whatever is next. Um, and so I do also want to allow some space for us to figure out what that new is going to be like. Um, you know, to use that metaphor of birth, and Paul uses that as well in his letter to the Romans, um, this, this becoming, these birth pangs that we've been going through um, could lead to a beautiful new society and hopefully will lead to a beautiful new society on the outside. The process is painful, um, and we don't know what the future holds. Uh, but there's something for us as people of faith, specifically as men of faith, to hold on to the hope that God is already in this. Um, God is in what is next. It's a matter of us at some point being in tune or aware enough to see where God is at work. Uh, like you mentioned with Black Lives Movement, with Poor People's Campaign, um, we are seeing some areas uh, of coalescing uh, of energy working for the greater good. And so there are some positives there. That's right. And I would remind you, again, you don't need to be reminded of this, <laughs> but is that you and I are the proclaimers of that. Yes. I mean, that's what we were called to do. We are the ones who are called to proclaim that God is present and that, you know, while um, it's not, it's different than what we have known. It doesn't mean that it is void of God. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, our job is to, uh, you know, we've been called to proclaim, you know, the, the, the presence of God in, in all of life. And, um, and then, and also to ask where is God and how do we, how do we sort of tap into, you know, the spirit of God among us in ways that can help both 
bring us together again and help us find, uh, you know, the answers to what we need moving forward. I had a had a conversation with a pastor several weeks ago, who's a pastor of a pretty large congregation, and was asking him about, uh, you know, how his church has been impacted. And, you know, they've made the decision that they will not be meeting together again until after the first of the year. And that's when they wow. will have their next conversation about that. And wow. uh, primarily because there's no way with 350 people, they space with that, you know, how in the world you can provide safety in that, you know, in, in what becomes a very small space with that number of people. Um, and uh, so they're, you know, they've chosen to, to not meet. And so everything's done virtually. And he was telling me, you know, that I, I wake up and get my cup of coffee and I start a Zoom conversation and I don't end a Zoom, Zoom, Zoom conversations until I go to bed. Yeah. And he goes, that's every day. And, and he said, what's the, the trigger of the anxiety is, is what, we've, what we're learning is that everything that we thought defined us as church that we're not able to do is not making us less of not we're not less of a church now because we're not doing those things so the right. question is is we don't if those don't define us and they're not required who are we to become and what is it that god will be asking of us and he said that's where our true source of anxiety lies as we discovered that what we thought we were is not needed and what is it that's needed for us to be who god wants us to be that's a huge conversation. I mean, that's it is. That's monumental ground shifting work. Well, it's the it you know the metaphor that springs to my mind is that of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. You know, it, going through that chrysalis stage is kind of what we've been doing. Um, and if we want to go back and be a caterpillar again, we really can't. But you know, but that's all we've known. And so now, what do we do? Um, you know, what does it mean to be who we are today? Uh, what does it mean to be the butterfly? Um, right. Right. And, and quite frankly, that's going to unfold over the next however many years <laughs> that that takes. You know, it's, it's not going to be an instantaneous thing. We're not going to figure it out tomorrow. No. And, you know, I think, um, and I think we've actually had some conversation about this in previous podcasts, is what, what this is what this is revealing to us is that we put so much of our best energies in institutional maintenance yes. and called it ministry. And yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not saying that it wasn't done in the spirit of ministry, but right. the truth is, right. you know, ma maintaining the institution and putting our best energies in that serves nobody's need, but our own. Yep. And, and you also have to ask what what need is that serving Within me, if the if a if a if an institution gives me meaning, right? I mean, where is God? Where is God in that? And right. God is not equal to the church. God is not the church. God is not the institution of the church. And so, you know, it it's it creates an opportunity for us. And maybe this is how every spiritual renewal moments in history occur. I don't know. But uh, it, it does give us an opportunity to say, so if the color of the carpet is not the most important thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ, what is? Right. And more specifically to our work, you know, if 
building the new playground or, you know, making sure that the rooms get painted or, uh, you know, fixing the broken things around the church is not the essence of men's ministry what is? or how I define myself as a Christian man. What is? What is? Right. And I, and I want to say, I think that the work that you and I have done with the Jesus way has been very intentional about answering the question, what is? Yes. Because we've been very clear that institutional maintenance is not what we're about. And, um, you know, and while we celebrate fundraising opportunities to do things for kids and, and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, very important, you know, the wonderful expressions. They're, they're not, they're not, you know, what define us as Christian men. They are some activities we engage in, you know, to do good things as Christian men, but it doesn't define who we are as Christian men. And I think that the Jesus way material that we've been working on, uh, starts from that premise is that there's so much more to being a Christian man than, you know, just being able to be the, you know, the free repair guy around the church and, or, you know, standing at the table on Sunday morning. Well, it's an emphasis. It removes the emphasis from what was stereotypically what it meant to be just man in general. You know, it doesn't have to be about repair. It doesn't have to be about, knowing how a car works or being a good hunter or, you know, great businessman or any of those things and really dials back, peels back the layers and says, what it means to be a man is to be a follower of Christ. One who seeks to walk in the Jesus way, you know, to extend that metaphor. Uh, One who wants to follow um, the, the life teachings, death and resurrection of, of Christ. Um, and that there's a myriad of different ways in which we can live into that. Um, and we're, we're finding out, um, quite pointedly at this moment that yes, there are a myriad of different ways just because we can't get together and have, you know, conversation around, um, a potluck dinner anymore doesn't mean that men's ministry stops. You know, you and I still have need for interaction with other men, with other people. We still need to develop, a, you know, and nurture those groups that give us life, um, that help us have accountability for our actions. All those things, all those needs still exist out in the world. Um, and so at this point in time, we've just realized um, in a profound way that we have other ways to meet those needs that weren't what we've always done. And that's right. And quite frankly, we need to be thinking about um, not just you and I, but anyone who would listen, anyone who is a follower of Jesus, think about what those new ways might be still yet to come. What's out there that we haven't discovered yet, that we haven't thought of yet. Um, you know, what can we use from, from other parts of our lives? Uh, what does remote work tell us about how we become, uh, build community and, and get around, uh, you know, a, a central idea. In this case, that central idea is men who are followers of Christ. We have, uh, you and I both have received, uh, questions from folks who have, uh, who are exploring the, the use the Jesus way who have asked about how they do that virtually. Yep. And so again, that's, you know, that's uh, one 
one way to get at what you're talking about is that, you know, the, you can still do a Zoom kind of Bible study or a study group. Uh, I, again, I think it's, uh, I would rather be studying in person with the people, but it is, it is a way for us to keep the, you know, those relationships alive and moving forward. Um, I also think that it's, it's important to understand that um, the relationship that, that you, one begins to develop in being a follower of Jesus Christ, of manifesting the same kind of faith in our lives that Jesus manifested in his life, is that it takes us, it really takes us far away from the material expressions of that, the, you know, the, the hands-on ways in which we've tried to do that. Again, not to diminish those things. They are important. You know, I'm, I do that all the time. That's my hobby. I love that kind of work. So again, don't, don't hear me saying that it's bad, but it is a matter of priority. And I find, I find one of the more disturbing elements of, of ministry is how, especially among men, is how we still tend to compartmentalize faith. I go to church on Sunday, you know, I put, I put a, you know, my tithe in the plate yeah. and, you know, I, I show up at the things that they asked me to show up to and that's all well and good. And I'm glad to do that. And I want my family to do that. I want my kids raised in church. But when I get to work, right. it's like the church doesn't exist and that there's no, there's no connection between the two. And so, you know, if my primary focus is greed and, you know, making money when I get at, get to work and I don't incorporate, you know, faith principles in how I manage my business, that's a problem. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean it's a problem in your relationship with God. And, uh, you know, we do that with, uh, in so many other areas, we do that in our relationship with spouses, with children, you know, with neighbors, uh, people of color, you know, people who are different than ourselves, is that it seems like we can be nice and good, you know, for an hour on Sunday morning or two, but it doesn't have any carryover in the rest of the week. And I think, you know, I, I would confess, I have probably done ministry in my congregational work over the years that and somehow perpetuated that unknowingly because I wasn't serious enough about pointing that the other direction, that there's another direction, which we're doing with our men's ministry now. Yeah. Uh, but I, that, the compartmentalization is killing us. I mean, it's true because it makes it makes Sunday what happens in your relationship with God optional. Yes. It now has to compete with your golf game or your fishing outing. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, or or now at your kid's softball game or soccer game. Right. And so when when it is just, you know, I like to use the, the you know, the idea of a bookcase when faith is just one of the volumes in the bookcase, it's optional. What we forget is, is that faith is the bookcase. Right. It's the whole thing. It's the whole enchilada. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and so you can't parse it out. It has to, it has, it engages and holds everything else in its midst. And, you know, so part of our work we've been doing with the Jesus way, and we need to say we've released our second study yes. material on the Bible. It is now available. And so we've got about, um, about 50 weeks worth of material, 50 sessions of material now that, that we put out this year, which we're very excited about. But all of that, all of that material is designed to help us move away from the compartmentalization of faith that, that has been part and parcel, I, I think, of most of our journeys. 
and helping us understand that you can't compartmentalize God. Yeah. That relationship with God is foundational to everything else and defines everything else in your life. It's not optional. And, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, really pleased and humbly pleased by the work that you and I have done in, in uh, helping, I think, move men in that direction should they choose to, you know, to embrace this material. Two things. One, you've given me some pause. Now I've got to think about uh, and reflect on um, compartmentalization and what that means as far as confidentiality and what we do in ministry. Um, because I, I think there are some things that we at least need to discuss there. Um, it does help that I'm on a year where I need to have some boundaries training. So I'll get to have those conversations, I hope, um, yet this calendar year. Um, but two, it, it also highlights the, the third um, piece of curriculum that we are um, on the finishing stages of, should be out within the next week or so, um, which will push us over those 50 weeks and into a, more than a year um, worth of curriculum. Um, and it's yet to be named. We have a working title, but I don't know if it's going to stay with that. So I don't know that I'm going to say the title. Uh, but... Uh, it is focused on that bookshelf metaphor it, that all we do, all of our being, our existence is aimed at reflecting at, at um, being um, driven by the person of Jesus, um, life, ministry, death and resurrection of Christ and, and how that shapes and forms who we are. Um, and keeping that at the forefront of our minds is, I know, uh, uh, central to both of our understanding of what it means to be uh, a man and how we do men's ministry. Um, so just a little teaser. Yet more curriculum coming out. Um, all of it, I think, is really good for um, groups, and, and we've heard from at least one, one uh, church um, that using the curriculum uh, beyond just men's ministry, using it in a Sunday school format. Um, and certainly you've got some language to adapt, um, but that's a possibility as well. Um, and I know both you and I would be willing to, to have those conversations with somebody if they're, they're interested in how, how can we adapt this curriculum to, to use in our context? Um, because each sitting, each situation is different. And I think uh, as we run out of time, I think the, the idea of context is important. It goes back to your, your rethinking conversation. You kind yeah. of come in a moment ago. It's that the, you know, there is no, there is no right way. And, uh, you know, I get rough. My feathers get ruffled pretty quickly when tell, someone tries to tell me what the right way is to be a Christian. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's not, that's doesn't is not a part of who I am as a Christian. I know it's not a part of who you are as a as a Christian as a minister, because that's that's not what we're about. It's that each of us, you know, God made each of us unique. We each have different gifts and graces. Our lives are reflections of you know of of unique circumstances that we have we have done our level best to interpret right. in ways that make us who we are today. And again, we've had a conversation about you know being products of our past. And, but we are, and that is never discounted. You know, in our relationship with God, it is never discounted. It is what God uses 
yes to bring us in right relationship with god through jesus christ and so it will always be unique for each of us but there will be certain principles that are always non-negotiable unconditional love right. grace mercy yes. Yes. justice those elements are are ingrained into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how we express those in our lives will be different. You know, there, there are, I have certain gifts and graces in some areas and I'm a bumbling idiot in others. And I'm thankful that there are those folks who can and are skilled in being able to do that. And, and so I can stand in an appropriate place and cheer them on where, you know, my, my, um, inability to really do much with it won't get in the way and so again we we have to give ourselves the grace yeah you know to to figure it out on our own but that's why we do it together right you know that's why doing the for me doing the director of disciple men in a partnership with you alex has been such a great gift because i know where i know many of what my deficiencies are i don't know all of them uh and you know we have complemented each other so well yes. in my judgment in that in that what the different gifts and graces and the different insights and our approach to life that we bring to this or you know has has given so much more breadth and depth to our work together that yes. it's just it's just wonderful and it would be so impoverished if it were just either of us trying trying to do it and then of course then we add you know, in the General Conference of Disciple Men and Executive Committee, which we work with, you know, again, that yeah. broadens our reach, that broadens our understanding, because these are all wonderfully gifted men, beautifully faithful men, you know, committed to the cause. And, and this, this is what, what makes it so wonderful, is that if I go in as one who has all the answers, hmm. I've already lost. Yes. I've already lost. You know, I've, one of my favorite quotes is from Edwin Friedman, you can't pour insight into the unmotivated. <laughs> we yeah. live. We live. In a, we live in a world where people are are unmotivated to know truth. They're unmotivated to know more or be more than they are. That they've got to a point where they say, "I've arrived. And I want somebody to bless my arrival." There right. is no arrival, no, nope. for a Christian. It's a journey. Yes, you know, it's it's a journey to death. You know, and and to life beyond death, whatever that yes. will be. Yes, part of our relationship with God, and so. And so, you know, we, we have to give space and grace for everyone who, you know, who journeys with us, you know, to, to express it in their own way. And we listen and we learn from one another. There are times when someone will say something where I've either already passed through that experience and won't go back, but I will not stand in judgment of them. That, that would right. be wrong for me to do that. But I can provide an alternative way of showing them how my life has been blessed in this different way of looking or being in the world in a way that it gives them a new choice for what they make in their own lives. And right. so uh, again, this is, this is not a, how to be a Christian man conversation that you, that, that is a, a very offensive to me. And I know it is to you too, but this is, this is an invitation to journey and to deepen and ex explore and deepen more the non-negotiable truths that Jesus Christ gave us and how they will, how they will be lived out in each of our lives uniquely get in community and so on. And it's, uh, you know, for me, that's the, that's the joy of this journey. That's the blessing of the journey and the blessing of getting to do it with you. You know, it's just an extraordinary gift at this stage in my life. And so I thank you for, for uh, what we've been able to share together so far and look forward to the rest of the journey. 
Yeah, I, I do as well. And and to to help foster that, encourage any of our listeners, uh, send us some feedback. You know, uh, send us uh, your experiences with either what you're hearing or what you're experiencing as you work through pieces of curriculum. Um, just your everyday experiences in life. Hey, this happened to me last Tuesday, um, and I, I thought it was something that was interesting and um, wanted to share that with 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 Greg and I. I think that that's great because that's a way that we can then begin to or, or continue to build on um, the relationships that we are developing one with another. Uh, and it's especially important in this time uh, of separation, and we don't know what the future looks like. Um, we don't know when things will start happen again that happened before or if they will. Um, so sharing those information, sharing that information, you know, phone calls, uh, emails are great ways to get a hold of us, all that available on the website um, and through Facebook and all those things. So great opportunities um, to continue the conversation um, and as we move forward. So great. Could you thing. remind us what website, what, what is the oh. website again? JesusWayMen.net um, is the website uh, that's easiest to find us at. Um, Disciples Men uh, or the General Conference of Disciples Men on Facebook. Um, and hopefully soon, uh, once I get schooled a little more by my kids on uh, Instagram, uh, hopefully we'll get to get an Instagram presence uh, as well. So um, I think it's, uh, just, well, the, the email address is a little bit harder, but it is available on the Jesus Way website um, as well. So thank you, Greg, for your time today. Thank you all for listening. And uh, Thank you, Alex. We'll, we'll see you all soon. <laughs>